Come with me to the Humans to Mars Summit this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. It was so great to be back in Washington, D.C. for the first time in three years. Explore Mars decided the time was right to bring the Mars community together for a face-to-face gathering. I'll share just two of the conversations I had with many stars of the summit. You'll hear poet, artist, and now astronaut Cyan Proctor in a few minutes. She served as pilot for last September's Inspiration4 mission on a SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft. First up is Lori Glaze, director of NASA's Planetary Science Division. Later, we'll enjoy our regular visit with Bruce Betts, who has a special opportunity to announce. Brr, it's a chilly winter Martian morning you'll see atop the June 3rd edition of the Downlink. Four images taken by the Mars Odyssey orbiter of beautiful frost on the surface. Ingenuity has begun a well-earned winter snooze on the red planet. The cold, reduced sunlight and dust storms will keep the little helicopter grounded for the winter. Also at planetary.org downlink, those cute little plants are in soil that has never before seen life. The University of Florida is growing those plants in actual lunar soil collected decades ago by the Apollo astronauts. They are oddly heartwarming, and it might even make you imagine a farm on the moon. There's more for you in the downlink, and it's all free. This year's summit ran for three full days. My job, as in the past, was to host the live video coverage, this time with my friend and colleague Beth Mund of the Casual Space Podcast. Beth and I also moderated several of the summit panels, including the last one about how Mars might be able to help unite humanity. Every session video is now available for you to enjoy at exploremars.org. My one-on-one conversations with many of the presenters can be heard in the podcast version of this week's show, also at planetary.org radio. Lori Glaze was last heard on Planetary Radio during our coverage of the 2021 Humans to Mars Summit that was entirely virtual. It was great to join her again in person. I caught her right after her appearance on the H2M stage. We talked on camera during a break in the program. It's great to see you again. It's great to see you too, Matt, always. You had all kinds of great information for us, more proof that we are in this golden age of of exploration. I'm thinking of the recently uh, released recommendations of the Decadal Survey, the one on planetary science and astrobiology. Fascinating document. There's no way we could talk about all the recommendations here, but right up at the top of the list, or near the top of the list, maybe number two, are we finally going back to an ice giant? Are we going to maybe go to Uranus? It's a great question. Um, and yes, we're all really, really excited about the decadal survey that was released uh, on April 19th. Um, it is an enormous document. It has so much great information in there. And uh, we're still in the process of absorbing all of that. 
Um, we're all very excited about all those recommendations. As you noted, the uh, number two recommendation for the very next big flagship or the big strategic mission is uh, a mission to an ice giant, and they've recommended a mission to Uranus. So we're in the process of looking at that. We're digesting, so I don't really have a public comment on that yet, but I would encourage you to tune in in a couple of months, probably mid-summer. We expect to start talking a little more publicly about our preliminary response to Decadal Survey. Let's talk about that number one recommendation, which I'm sure you can talk about. Yeah. I, I, Ken Farley, pr uh, project scientist for Perseverance, the rover, uh, was on our show, Planetary Radio, last week, gave us a glowing report on how it's doing as it enters now, so exciting, that river delta. Yeah, I thought that'd be a reaction. Um, and, and so it's doing its job. It's collecting those samples. But Perseverance can't help us get them back to Earth, other than this step that it's taking. Um, a lot of challenges ahead, and I'm also thinking of the geopolitical situation with Rosalind Franklin, that ExoMars rover, and so on. Is everybody scrambling now to figure out how this is going to work? It's a really great question. Um, let's just tackle the, the Mars sample return part first. Um, I am really, really excited that the Decadal Survey gave a very strong endorsement for Mars sample return. We, of course, had already kind of kicked that off and initiated it at the start of the Decadal Survey, but they came out in incredibly strong support uh, for making sure we get that sample return completed um, as quickly as possible. And so we are charging forward on Mars sample return, as you know. But uh, as you alluded to, there are some complications. Our primary partner on my Mars sample return is European Space Agency. And of course, they have now had to delay the Rosalind Franklin launch because of the political situation. It's a challenge. And, and we certainly you know, want to be a good partner in all ways. Uh, we are talking with ESA and, and considering whether there are ways, if there's a possibility that there's a way that NASA could um, assist. But uh, at this time, you know, that's still under consideration. But uh, we saw here yesterday that uh, at least another one of the phases of sample return, I mean, we heard from one of the sponsors about the MAV, that uh, Mars Ascent Vehicle, and how it's going to lift those samples collected by Perseverance up into orbit. And I guess that's moving forward. Oh, it's moving forward. Fantastic. In fact, we've awarded the contract for that. And so the Mars Ascent Vehicle work is, uh, is really progressing. It's underway. Um, it's a critical part. Uh, it'll be the first time we ever launch from another planet. We've launched off of the moon, of course, but we have never launched from another planet. So this is uh, incredibly challenging to actually deliver that rocket, but not just the rocket, it's also the launch system. It's, it's not a trivial thing to achieve there. So I'm glad that the technology investment's happening early because that's going to be a tall pole. I'll say it again, space is hard. Mars is harder. Um, it's always sad to hear about a mission that is coming to an end. You talked about InSight probably will finish its work this year after doing great work. Uh, but the science results, which you said have been outstanding, I'm thinking of the dis this discovery, uh, the, uh, the, the sensing of this rather strong earthquake, one that, you know, I'm from Southern California, would be a pretty good shake. Doesn't sound like Mars is quite as dead as some people once thought. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. Although the science team are still really analyzing that data, which 
like you say, how incredible that here we are kind of uh, starting to see perhaps the, the final months of insight and we got blessed with this incredible Mars quake. Um, but the team's still assessing uh, the quake um, and trying to understand better where it is, how large it really, you know, pinpoint the, the size of it and gather as much information as they can. And so I'm not gonna step out on a limb and, and pre-guess what that interpretation is. Uh, but yeah, the data are just absolutely incredible. We gotta, we're running out of time. So I'll just to go to one more world while we're here, and that's Venus. Couple of missions. Uh, and, oh gosh, I should talk about Psyche as well. I've gotta put that in. And uh, great things happening in the asteroid belt. Oh my gosh, it, things are so, so busy. We have so many wonderful things happening right now. I'll just real quick, yes, excited about the decade of Venus. How exciting, we've got two Venus missions selected by the US in addition to the mission selected by European Space Agency, the Envision mission. So all three planning to launch near the end of the decade. It's gonna be a great time for, for Venus science in the coming years. Asteroid science, let's talk uh, not just the science missions, Lucy and Psyche and OSIRIS-REx bringing samples back. Let's talk DART, double asteroid redirection test. We've got that demonstration of the kinetic impactor technique, first ever humanity's attempt at uh, planetary defense, where we're going to uh, demonstrate uh, the ability to deflect an asteroid. That's happening uh, September 26th, so stay tuned. Very exciting. That's going to be quite a show. While we're talking planetary defense and preparing to, to do that, Near Surveyor, which, you know, as you know, didn't do as well as some of us might have hoped in the proposed 23 budget. Still a high priority? We hope so. Neo Survey is very definitely a high priority. We're all a, a little uh, concerned with what's what's in the, the 23 budget. It's things happen. That's that's where we are. But we are working uh, very closely with the team to make sure that we continue forward and that we have a good path forward um, to get that mission to launch. Um, if you've looked at the decadal survey, um, it is listed as the next high priority after DART. It's the first it's the first high priority mission recommended in a decadal survey for planetary defense. Excellent. I can't let you go without at least mentioning what's happening at Jupiter. Juno, still delivering great science. <laughs> Juno, fantastic. They're doing great. They're now in their extended mission. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, they've got funding now, I think, for a couple more years, maybe into 24 or 25, uh, to kind of close out that exciting, incredible mission. In their extended mission, they're not only continuing the amazing observations of, of Jupiter's uh, giant gas atmosphere, but also having flybys of several of Jupiter's moons. So we're going to get some fantastic new data there as well. Got to stop there, I guess, but exciting times. I mean, I said golden age, right? Absolutely. It's a great time to be a planetary scientist. And how. Thank you, Lori, very much. Thanks, Matt. Cyan Proctor became an Explore Mars board member before she learned she'd be going into space. She was famously chosen to join the Inspiration4 crew that spent three days aboard that SpaceX Crew Dragon last September. I sat down with this geologist, teacher, artist, and poet backstage at the Humans to Mars Summit. Cyan, it is great to see you again. You were way too much in demand for me to get you to a microphone at Yuri's night. Really, I think, probably the star of the evening. So it's great to be sitting backstage with you here at, uh, at Humans to Mars. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, this is a much quieter venue back here, so <laughs> we have a moment to just sit and chat. 
you've already been in demand when we were out there with the folks who, the, 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 the Martians who were attending uh, Humans to Mars here. You, you're kind of a, a rock star here, too. Yeah, it's always exciting to be in a, a setting where people are enthusiastic about human space flight because then they actually recognize me versus being out on the street. I really like the fact that people are getting excited about us going to the moon, Mars, and beyond. I think what people also recognize is that you represent a new class of space travelers. We've seen a few of these people before. Everybody likes to talk about the billionaires, and some people are bothered by them. I'm not, because they also represent the opening up of access to space, but certainly much more so in your case and some of the other folks like you, because I assume you're not yet a billionaire. (laughs) No, far from being a billionaire. But when I think about Jared Isaacman, my commander, and what he did for the first all-civilian mission to orbit, uh, you know, he did it right. Um, He could have just taken his friends, and instead Mm. he said, you know, this is a first, and I want to set the bar high, and decided to make it a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, so this whole idea idea of solving for space solves for Earth, and then uh, to take and give away those other three seats, one to Haley Arsenault, the first childhood cancer survivor and person with a prosthesis to fly to space, and then Chris giving away the generosity seat by donating to St. Jude, and that went to Chris Sombrowski, and then me winning the prosperity seat as an artist and a poet. And so that whole idea of creating a Jedi space, just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive. I love that acronym, of course. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's it's a little Star Wars with a Star Trek <laughs> mission. You know, Star <laughs> Trek is all about democratization of space and space exploration, boldly going, and then Star Wars having that Jedi theme of uh, making a difference. So many other other organizations, including this one, Explore Mars, who like to say, "Yes, Cyan, one of our own, is, has made it this way." I mean, I think again that is recognition of how we aspire to become a spacefaring civilization. Yeah, I'm really thankful to Explore Mars. I've been part of the board for a couple of years now. They reached out to me and said that they wanted me to, you know, come and help them. This was before I knew that I was going to go to space and be an astronaut. And I felt so grateful because representation matters and, and having diversity and inclusion and multiple voices. And Explore Mars is all about that. They're all about um, how can we go to Mars and make that a Jedi space. So I support everything that they're doing here. And the Human Tomorrow Summit is just another example of the excellence towards that endeavor. What has that experience in space, those days in space, days and nights, <laughs> every 90 minutes, right? What, is, what has it meant for your work as an artist and a poet? There's a couple of things that it's meant to me. One of the big ones is that whole idea of always having hope. I hope that your dreams are going to come true. Even though I was becoming more seasoned in age, I never gave up hope of being able to achieve that dream. And you do that by preparing and persisting. I did a lot of preparation over the last 30-plus years and persisting through a lot of no's and disappointments, um, but you keep finding ways to move forward, and then when that opportunity comes, being able to take it. I was really fortunate that as a result of basically COVID and us going into lockdown, I discovered my authentic voice as an artist and a poet. That opened up a new world and opportunity for me. So when Inspiration4 came along for the prosperity seat and I had to put myself out there, 
career, I, I did it as an artist and a poet. And that was the golden ticket that got me my, my ride to space. And, and so even though I've got the geology and I've got the analog astronaut and I've got all these other experiences, those all come along with me on the ride. But I got to tell you, getting up into space and seeing our planet um, with this new kind of perspective as an artist and a poet was magical. And the best thing that I experienced was Earthlight. Um, mm-hmm. And when I talk to people about Earthlight, it's the um, light that's being reflected off of our beautiful planet back at you. It's very, it's the same thing as like moonlight. And so you think about how moonlight has captivated us since the early age of us looking up into the, in, into the sky. Well, I can tell you being bathed in Earthlight is far more spectacular and amazing than I could have ever imagined. You weren't just along for the ride. You were the pilot. I'm very envious, well, first of all, of the ride, but also you got to, I assume, play with that wonderful touchscreen control panel, which I only saw, we we only had a dummy that we could touch when I was uh, last at SpaceX. Yeah, you know, it was one thing to win my ticket, um, but then it was another whole thing to be offered the mission pilot seat. Um, A real dream come true, because as a kid, I wanted to be a pilot and an astronaut, so checked both of those boxes. (laughs) The Dragon capsule is autonomous, but what the pilot's role is, is two things. One, I back up my commander, Jared Isaacman, who's also a pilot, um, and help give him situational awareness as to what the Dragon capsule is doing. Over the six months of training, I became more like a systems engineer, where I understood Mm. how all the systems interact and what we could and could not do as a crew. You ready to go back and maybe go farther? I would love to go back. I'd love to be a moonwalker or even a Mars walker one day. But, you know, I'm very grateful that I got my chance to go. So if I never go back up again, I'll be okay, but I sure would love to go again. Thanks for all you're doing and uh, best of continued success. Thank you so much. And you know, there's no place better than planet Earth. So lots to explore and see here. I'm so grateful to everyone at Explore Mars for allowing me to be part of their spectacular gathering once again. Also for the Mars Horizon Award they honored me with, I'll be right back with Bruce Betts. This is Planetary Radio. Hi, I'm Bruce Betts. Will you help defend Earth? The Planetary Society is working to protect our world from an asteroid impact. It's the only large-scale natural disaster we can prevent, but we're not ready yet. Right now, your support can be doubled. A generous member of the Society will match all gifts up to a total of $15,000. It's a great opportunity to make a difference. You can learn more at planetary.org slash defendearth. That's planetary.org slash DefendEarth. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. It is time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Sitting virtually across from me is the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts. Welcome back. Hi, Matt. We are going to get to all the usual stuff, but I'm hoping that up front you can tell us about the very significant uh, new opportunity that that as we speak, has uh, just opened up a couple of days ago. 
Yes, indeed. We have released a new request for proposals from the Planetary Society for our STEP grants program, Science and Technology Empowered by the Public. And we uh, had our first round decided a few months ago. I have a couple great new projects, and we're looking for new science and technology projects. Uh, and you can find all the information online at planetary.org slash step grants, one word, step grants. The deadline for the preliminary proposals, which are required, is August 17th. How many PhDs do I have to have to be able to apply for this? Uh, you don't require any to apply, but you do require at least three to actually have a chance of winning. That is not true. Uh, that is not true at all. Uh, there are students that work under people with PhDs who are on the winning proposals. No, it's not a requirement. Stop this. Stop this. You are not eligible, though. And everyone else is. It's internationally open. It's open to everyone but Matt Kaplan. I made sure to add that this year. No, that's not true. You work for the Planetary Society, so you're not eligible. What's a shame is that I have a surefire proposal for warp drive, but yeah, yeah the world will just have to wait. <laughs> You'll have to find some other sucker. I mean, someone else to fund that. <laughs> and and just briefly, the two that were funded are, are going well, you say? Yes, they're going well. And you had a wonderful show with them when we selected them. So we've got a UCLA project developing a citizen science project to help them remove noise from radio astronomy signals where they're trying to find if there are any signals from uh, ET in there. Uh, so it's SETI related. And then the other is uh, in Serbia at the University of Belgrade and a group figuring out a new way to characterize near-Earth asteroids, which we're uh, always part of our planetary defense program interested in. Yeah, which we have a, a major campaign going on right now. People may have heard your voice uh, talking about that just a few minutes ago on this uh, on this very episode. Does that sound good? I don't know. You haven't recorded it yet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and right now, there are no mistakes. Broke that fourth wall right down. What's <laughs> up in the night sky? Oh, such silliness. Not in the night sky. Night sky is fun. Big fun. Uh, we've got a full moon on June 14th, which I mentioned because it is a so-called super moon, which I think is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I haven't figured out, you know, mediocre moon doesn't inspire people. So it's a full moon that occurs near the closest point in the moon's elliptical orbit. So the moon appears a little bit larger and a little bit brighter than average. That's on the 14th. We've got in the pre-dawn sky, we got planets still partying, all lined up. We've got even Mercury's joining the party. If you can get a view low to the east in the pre-dawn from the horizon up, we got Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn uh, all in a line because we orbit in roughly the same plane. But wait, don't worry yet, Matt. On June 17th, the moon will join the line, starting with passing Saturn high up, and then by 11 days later on the 28th, it will have moved down to Mercury, snuggling up with them along the way. Whew. On to this week in space history. It was 2003. It's another couple things to make you feel time passes quickly. 2003, the Spirit rover was launched. Hmm. That didn't work. How about 2010, 12 years ago, Hayabusa, one, the first Hayabusa, returned asteroid samples to the Earth for the first time. That can't be true. 
There we go. Crazy. 2003, I was just speechless because we were all together at Planifest for the landing of, uh, of Spirit, the, the first of those twins to arrive. That was very, very exciting. It was very exciting, and, uh, it, was, uh, and it was really nice because it worked. <laughs> they keep having things work. It's, it's very cool. All right, we move on to random space fact. <laughs> yeah, it is. No worries. All right, we're going to the exotic planet Earth. Earth's north magnetic pole, the location where the magnetic field, you know, point where your compasses point towards, it moves. And it's been moving a lot faster in the last couple decades than before, whereas in the 19th century and beginning most of the 20th, it was going anywhere from not moving, zero up to 15 kilometers per year. It was hanging out in Canada long-term, very comfortable in northern Canada. But then it started clipping about 20 years so years ago, up to 50 to 60 kilometers per year. It's been jamming north, headed off towards Siberia, and it actually uh, got closer to the true North Pole for a while. It made it to 390 kilometers within the geographic pole. Now it's headed south from the pole and headed to Siberia. And at uh, least recent papers think there are a couple magnetic blobs of material fighting between Canada and under Canada and under Siberia. I think they should be named Matt and Bruce. I claim Canada. <laughs> uh, that whole idea of, uh, of two blobs far under the uh, surface of the earth. We do have a strange planet. We do have a very weird place. I mean, it's infested. First of all, the surface is just infested. It's crazy. I mean, that's why it's uh, mostly harmless. <laughs> Shall we move on to the trivia contest? Yeah, it's time. So I asked you to name all the U.S. planetary spacecraft, defining it as beyond Earth orbit and including the moon, all of them launched in the 1980s. How do you do, Matt? Not a huge response this time. I'm going to let Gene Lewin in Washington provide the uh, poetic response to this. To circumnavigate the globe, Magellan sailed a westward path. Galileo focused eyes aloft and faced the Inquisition's wrath. Both were controversial, at least during their time, pushing boundaries, countering laws, some of faith, some of the brine. They were honored by the NASA team during the 1980s frame, ships to Venus, the other Jupiter, bearing each explorer's name. Indeed, Galileo and Magellan. And a great poem. Thank you, Gene. And since we now know the answer, well, here's the winner, according to random.org. And he's a first-time winner, as far as I could tell. Edwin King in the United Kingdom, where I was uh, just like a week and a half ago, having a delightful time. He said, yep, Magellan and uh, Galileo, the much-delayed Ulysses, didn't make the cut. But of course, that was basically a solar observer, right? Yes, but uh, I would have counted particularly because it flew by Jupiter to get to this over the poles of the sun, oddly enough. So the striking thing here is there were only two U.S. planetary missions launched, and both were launched in 1989. That's, in fact, part of why the Planetary Society was started, because of that dismal look at the, at the 80s, and that was before Challenger disaster and delays, further delays because of that. We're doing some really cool stuff now at much larger quantities, and it's exciting. Partially thanks to you. 
members of the Planetary Society. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to go back to Edwin King, our winner, because he is uh, <laughs> he's in the UK. He said, I hope Matt enjoyed the UK. Sorry about the weather. Actually, Edwin, we were incredibly lucky. Uh, we hardly had any rain at all, even when we were walking across the countryside in the uh, Cotswolds. So we did extremely well. Thank you for that, by the way. Edwin, we're going to send you a copy of Packing for Mars, our actually the uh, publisher is going to send you Packing for Mars for Kids by Mary Roach. So uh, congratulations. What have you got for us? What unofficial but common name for a type of feature on Venus sounds like it would be delicious for breakfast? Wow. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. Yeah, there's nothing called French toast that I know of on Venus. Oh, uh, nice. Now I need a new one. You got until the 15th, that'd be June 15th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer for this one. And uh, we'll go back uh, one more time to handing out, handing to somebody, a rubber asteroid, a planetary society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid. Now we're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky and think about what is your favorite shape of pasta? I'm sure Matt's got one. Thank you, and good night. Whoa, a question about pasta, and you're you're doing artwork? You really are a Renaissance man. He's uh, Leonardo. <laughs> I mean, he's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members, some of whom love angel hair pasta best, Mark Hilverda and Ray Paletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra. Ad Astra.